everybody, this is Lena from Dyslexia Scotland here. Welcome to Dyslexia Scotland's latest podcast at Home with Dyslexia Scotland. Um, really delighted today to be joined by Catherine or Pip Penman and her twin sister Elizabeth Penman. Um, Catherine and Elizabeth um, made a short film for BBC Scotland called Loop. Uh, some of you may have seen it and we will put a link on, uh, onto this podcast, but it was a really great little film about how Pip's dyslexia helps her as a writer. You'll hear a lot more about both of them during this podcast. We're also really pleased to be joined by somebody who many of you will know, Trevor Thompson, who's the director of Blue Star Streaming. Uh, Trevor is um, has been involved with lots of Dyslexia Scotland projects as a volunteer and also professionally. Um, and has done loads of um, our podcasts as well. So I think we're just going to ask everybody to introduce themselves now. Who would like to go first? Okay, I'll go first, Mena. So welcome to everybody to new one of the, the latest podcasts. And we have Elizabeth, Catherine, aka Pip. So I'll just get get them to introduce yourself. If you go first, Elizabeth, just introduce yourself and tell us where you are today. Hi everybody, so my name's Elizabeth, um, I'm a filmmaker from Kirkcaldy, but I'm currently in Manchester right now, I'm, I'm actually doing a master's degree in wildlife filmmaking, so I'm speaking to you from Manchester just now. Hi everyone, uh, I'm Catherine, but I go by Pip, and that's a twin thing because I'm a smaller twin, so I'm a Pip Squeak, and uh, I'm speaking to you all from New York today, um, where I'm currently working um, just after finishing my master's in literature at NYU. Okay, that's great. Well, thanks for joining us today from different parts of the globe. It's amazing. Uh, okay, so we'll just start off. We're going to really talk about being dyslexic. So we're all dyslexic, so we can all relax and just talk, talk about being dyslexic. So we'll start off with our first question. So when were you identified as being dyslexic? Uh, that's the first part of it. Uh, and was it around the same time for both of you? Because you're twins, so we haven't talked about that as well. So I suppose you can mention about being twins as well while answering this question. Yep. So um, I think, uh, oh God, when we, I think we, we were in high school for sure when we were first identified as being dyslexic. But I think it really came off the bat from being me and Pip were both really into storytelling and writing and really creative when we're writing, but we were really struggling with the technical side of it. So the content was of a good standard, but we just couldn't keep up with the with the spelling and the reading at all. And I think the two just didn't align. Like we were excelling at storytelling side of things, but really falling behind on the technical. And so I think that is when, you know, teachers and things start to step in and say there's something not quite right here. Yeah, it was funny. We're top set for our English class, but sort of bottom for spelling, you know, that's not, you know, the standard procedure. So I think that's when it sort of, you know, the suspicion arose, but uh, I don't think both of us got formal tests until we were at university. I, I, de I can't remember for you, Lib, but I definitely remember that my first formal assessment was in my first year at university. Yeah, that's the same. Um, we did like our proper educational psychologist assessment and did all the things and was properly diagnosed with it when we would have been 18. Oh, okay, that's amazing. So you basically went through school and you were very creative uh, in English and your writing and got diagnosed at university. That seems to be quite a common 
common thing. Was there any indication? Did your parents say anything or anything at school? Did, did you did you feel like anybody was accelerating faster than you when you were at primary school or secondary school? Well, I think um, there was definitely a few things that, um, that were quite obvious for my for me as well, in the way that obviously sometimes dyslexia, of course, manifests itself differently with everyone. And sometimes it's hard to like physically see. But for me, I've never been able to, I know this is a podcast, so I won't be able to show you, but I've never been able to hold a pen properly. I just couldn't get the hang of it, which is quite common with people that have specific learning difficulties. But I have the most strangest, bizarrest grip that's like a claw. And, you know, I've never been able to correct it. It's hard as well. Different support teachers have helped. But I, I sort of basically, and at even points, I started writing my left hand and I've changed my grip on my pen in between words, which I still do to this day when I'm writing a sentence. I will literally go up and down my pen as if like it's an instrument almost. And I don't even realise I'm doing it, but I just can't. I can't seem to grasp holding a pen normally and writing a proper sentence. So that was quite a, an obvious sort of external one that people would say, oh, something's not quite right with that. For me, one, one thing I remember, which uh, was, is actually quite sad when you think about it, you know, I'm by nature just a bit of a neat freak. So my handwriting and everything was always super, super neat. But as I progressed a bit further through school, got into like the, you know, higher sets in English, which was my favorite subject by miles, I started to feel like like there was a discrepancy in like how people were spelling and writing, but also the content. So I felt like I understood all content, but knew my spelling was way off. So I started to write really messily. And I do remember a sort of conscious decision that I would just make my handwriting really messy to try and cover up the fact that some of this that I knew that I wasn't spelling correctly. And I think my my mum, our mum picked up on that and she sort of, you know, asked you to see our doctors and she was like, what's going on? Because there was quite quickly a rapid difference in like the presentation of my writing on the page from, you know, being maybe a year younger at school to the next year, just because as I progressed, I was more aware that there was a discrepancy that I didn't quite understand. So I just used to start writing really messily so people could understand the content of my words, but just not see the spelling. Okay, so lots of people think dyslexia is just about reading and spelling. Uh, your twins, does your dyslexia affect you in different ways? Did you, did you come across the same difficulties at the same time? Uh, I'm sure you must have done homework together uh, after school and stuff like that. So how did that kind of work out? I think, um, I mean, one that I mentioned before is my pen grip, like, Pip writes differently from I do and is able to hold the pen correctly, but I've never been able to do that. So an obvious difference in how it manifests is just the way we physically write. That's an obvious one. I, I think, though, in terms of like similarities, one thing that was really cool about, like, Trevor, you asked about homework and how we studied is people thought this was completely bizarre, but um, we would, you know, talk through projects always at home. And, you know, we're really enthusiastic learners, so loved it. We'd love to, like, take, like, you know, take what we were doing seriously, but we would record it. And that was sort of, you know, a bit back in the day before everything was accessible. So we had specific software that we asked their mum for so that we could type up like Microsoft Word documents and then turn them into audio files. And we thought that was amazing. And people at school thought that I was super bizarre. But, and you know, we'll get more into that later, but it would be quite common for us to talk through an essay that we thought would maybe come up an exam, put it onto an audio file and then go to the skate park and listen to it. And so that was a sort of, you know, a bizarre approach to homework that Lib and I both did together, but no one else seemed to understand. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So, yeah, so you both had like kind of different mechanisms and were learning out things yourself. So maybe you knew something that was just a different style of learning that you adapted in that. So... That's yeah. really 
really interesting. We kind of describe it as like, you know, you'd go to school and, you know, because of sort of standard set of like presenting things to people that doesn't work with dyslexics, as we know, well, doesn't often work, that Lib and I would sort of then go home and do just basically learn the thing in our own ways. And we sort of had, a, you know, the twin thing comes in so handy here, sort of like built in dyslexic study club, which we didn't know at the time was what we were doing. But, you know, overcoming that in our own ways by, you know, turning things into audio files and also like using sports as like a, a fun way to like, basically consume the information that we'd turned into audio. Yeah, so I mean, you talk about the skateboarding, it's really interesting, actually. Uh, so did both of you skate and how did that How did that come about, learning to skate and, and listening to your audiobooks? Yeah, we both, um, I mean, pretty much grew up in the skate park is what we often say. But yeah, so I did a lot of, I mean, I, I describe myself as a skate park jack of all trade, master of none. So I did quite a lot of skateboarding, rollerblading, BMXing, sort of all of them. Pip was much more skateboard orientated. Now and again had a wee shot on other things, but it was almost purely skateboarding. But we, whatever we were doing, we sort of snowboarded, wet surfing, mountain biking, whatever activity we were doing, when can, like normally people would just have like their music playing whilst they're at the skate park or out on their mountain bike. But we were always listening to audiobooks or, you know, essays that we had written for high school. We had to transform to remember them. We'd put them in audio MP3 files and we would be listening to stuff. So a lot of the stuff that we learned was uh, playing along when we were doing these types of sports. I know, I, I always make the joke that I totally remember listening to Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen for the first time when I was learning 50-50 grounds in the halfpipe at Kirkcaldy Skate Park. And I totally remember those lines to this day being aligned with that new skate trick, which is just, yeah, which we didn't know was bizarre because both of us just were like, yeah, totally, you listen to your books while you're shredding. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So you obviously, uh, you were listening to audiobooks, you were, you were recording stuff, um, you know, you, were, yeah, and you could be pretty safely say that you are into your technology. Yeah, actually, I mean, I, did, I wouldn't have thought of it at the time, but yeah, I guess we were already trying to take advantage of technology to help us right from the get-go, really. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, totally. We never really thought about the time. And I would say, you know, Trevor, when you ask like the differences and how, how we use it, I'd say that Lev is definitely more technical. She sort of moved into filmmaking from the skate park side of things. Where And then I'd say that like in terms of like reading physical books, I'd probably do a lot more than Lev and you, you know, got far more into watching film and like studying film in that way. So like I'd say Lev became more technical. And Lev, that was probably your first like, you know, Filmmaking and overcoming all these things with like dyslexia challenges is probably your first introduction before you even really knew it. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, that's great. So a question here what we're looking at is like, you know, dyslexic people uh, need a lot of support. I think I was like you, so I found out later in life when I went back to university for the second time that I was <coughs> dyslexic. <clears throat> and I suppose I tried to hide it, but then I was quite embarrassed about it, to be honest. Uh, so I used to hide stuff from people. I think that's quite a common thing. But unusually, you are twins. You were together. Did you just, like support each other? How did you support each other? Did you, did you did you hide things from each other, or did you group together and hide from anybody else, or how did you develop that? <laughs> I think that's a really good point because I definitely, and I think a lot of dyslexic people can relate to this, um, I definitely felt like a bit embarrassed about the fact, like sometimes people that don't understand it 
think it's like synonymous with not being very clever or and so you just don't want to come across as like you know not bright or anything or like you're just really not on it so I think that there was definitely times in the past where I'd be quite embarrassed about my spelling or even the way I hold held a pencil or just reading aloud and getting tripped up I would be embarrassed about that the great thing about again having a twin was there was that safety net there that I always had someone beside me that was of a similarity and had these similar issues but then in the real world, obviously, we're not always together now. So especially in this day and age right now with the pandemic where everything is online, a particular challenge I'm having right now at university is so many of my classes are online, which means we've got to type um, uh, conversations and ideas quickly to sometimes lectures of 80 people. And at the very start, even now, even though I've sort of made peace with my dyslexia and had a lot of help through it over the years, I still sort of almost felt like I was back in high school again. And I thought, oh, here we go again. This is the embarrassment where I just cannot type any of the ideas that I could get across in a face-to-face classroom quite easily. So rather than a difference from when I was at high school, when I sort of maybe swept it under the rug and didn't acknowledge it, I've just found that I've just put on these class, virtual classes at university straight off the bat. Like once I've introduced myself and said, hey everyone, I have dyslexia, so bear with me if you know anything I'm writing doesn't make quite sense. I'm typing really fast um, and I'll clarify anything you need to know if it's not quite spelt correctly. And everyone's been really supportive and there's been no problem with that. And again, because we sort of know that dyslexia a lot of creatives have dyslexia actually it goes hand in hand. I've actually found that I'm doing a creative course. It's another, it's a master's in filmmaking. There's several people in even my course that say, hey, I have this problem too. And then they've put on the group chat, so bear with me about my spelling. So now it's like, you know, actually coming forward and just presenting, I have this, uh, so just bear with me, actually has been really, really helpful because other people came forward and said the same. And now everyone's on a level playing field. And so, yeah, so that is my sort of like uh, it's been a nice circle and I'm back at university and I'm back in a learning environment but this is uh, how I've overcome it this time yeah totally I would uh, yeah I'd say just snap on the twin thing like like echo all those sentiments it was definitely like you know embarrassing at high school but when I was at 11 Trevor you made me laugh when you said we're all dyslexic here everyone can relax it's true it's a nice feeling like when you're with other dyslexic people so Levin and I and you know pandemic means that everything is virtual and we're both creative people and I write a lot and she's got film things going on and I do love to you know send Lev quickly massive text messages about things completely like dyslexicified but they're like there's no problem with that I don't I know I don't need to explain that I can just send it to her and there's definitely a lot of comfort in having you know my twin who understands a hundred percent where I'm coming from there's no judgment there and it's nice to be able to fire it off but yeah I think that dyslexic a challenge they're facing right now is completely echo those sentiments at a huge work conference which is live with lots of people when you know I need to chime in things about my work and what I'm doing and you've got that frustrating that you know you don't want to see you don't want to come across as incompetent to people that don't know and understand but if you've got to type quickly in a chat there might be loads of like technical errors which is so frustrating because you know as dyslexic people we know that we're completely aware of our ideas it's just not coming across in that conventional sense when written down under pressure but um yeah it's nice to talk you know to other dyslexic and have people and have my twin like understand it completely yeah yeah i totally agree i, I totally get this dyslexic thing with other dyslexic people it's really exciting i mean 
uh, I got involved with Dyslexia Scotland over like five years ago now, and the amount of dyslexic people I've met through um, working with Dyslexia Scotland and going to open days and stuff like that, I find it really, really interesting being in a room full of dyslexic people, that how relaxed you feel and not stressed you feel. Uh, so, you know, the kind of anxiety you get around people when you're in meetings that, you know, I used to say to people, you could be in a meeting and just think that someone... Or even at a comedy show and someone would come up and give you a pen and want you to write and you'd be like going, yeah. ah, freak out. So it's always there, lightly behind that someone's going to like, you know, tell you to do something that's going to make you feel silly or, or Oh, yes, yeah, definitely. I think we all remember like high school days where a teacher would just go and you come to the front of the class and write on this whiteboard and you would just feel the sense of dread. Oh. Yeah, I know, I know. I had I have like similarly the funniest story about my first ever class and in English literature at Edinburgh. My first ever class, so vividly remember it that I listened to the audiobook The Turn of the Screw, which was the first novel we were given to like learn and talk about. Came to the boat like the workshop and you know quickly I was so passionate, loved the book, said a big point, and then the teacher said come to the board and then it was just the worst feeling ever and then I just was then I had to say eh, um actually I don't know because she asked me to write the quote up so she said come to the board and put it on the and I said actually eh, I don't have the book and then everyone in the class was like what why have you just said a quote and backed up you won't go to the board and then I just panicked and said I hadn't read the book which is so bizarre I'd listened to it and I was too bizarre to say too embarrassed to say oh I think that quote comes about five hours 14 minutes in so I remember just saying I've not read the book I'll do better next time and sat down and everyone must have been like this girl has arrived, said her piece, refused to write the quote, and then claimed she hasn't read the book. And that was my first ever class at Edinburgh Uni. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, I think we've all been there, you know, uh, coping mechanisms to not to not write, you know. I've, I've seen myself flying out of a room saying that I need the toilet quickly and stuff like that. You know, as a full adult in a proper <laughs> meeting, you know, it's like, or, or just giving someone else the pen and saying like, oh, God, my arm's sore the day, you know, just like crazy stuff just to get out. <laughs> Yeah, I have, I have the same thing on a, on a daily basis when it comes to the post. It sounds so simple, but every time I have the post and the post person hands me a package and says, can you sign here? There's always a remark like, oh, that's a strange way you've written your name. Always a good chuckle from the post people about the fact that I nearly misspell my own name and it's written in a claw-like grip. So, yeah, that's another one that I get embarrassed about. Yeah, it's all these things. I was going to say, in America, with my accent, especially if there's any phone sort of situation or just face-to-face, they're like, Catherine, like, do you spell that out loud? And then I'm going to panic because it's my own name and how, like, horrendous. And obviously I can write it, but to just spell it out loud on demand, the pressure, and then you just feel like, oh, my goodness, they're going to think that I'm insane because I can't yeah, somebody. That's probably the, one of the reasons why we ended up uh, having these nicknames. Although it's confusing because we're, we've got four names on the go here. But Elizabeth and Catherine are not the most dyslexic friendly names. That's a bit complicated. So you'll hear Neil Pip is calling me Lib a lot because I obviously also get called Libby or Lib quite frequently. They're much easier to spell than Elizabeth. So we do make it slightly more complicated for ourselves that we have all these aliases, I guess. But I can write pet backwards and it's still correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's handy, backwards both ways. Yeah, I love that. Maybe all dyslexics should just change the names to them, like kind of <laughs> forward and backwards names that, you know, with a silent Y somewhere, you know. Yeah. <laughs> would, be, would be fine. That, 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 that's fascinating. You know, uh, we were talking there about, the, you mentioned the documentary. I'm sure loads of people have seen it. If they haven't seen it, 
we'll put something on this uh, later to direct people to it. It was on the iPlayer. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. But you talked in a film about teachers nagging you for proper English. So tell us a bit about that. Proper English, studying English, writing English, writing books, all of that kind of stuff. Can, can you hear that, oh, that That's New York for you. you mean, that's that's the sound. Welcome to New York, everyone. Welcome to New York. That's what it's like on every second corner, is it not? You know? Yeah, it's, not, it's always kicking off in New York, so you're all yeah. getting a slice of that at home right now, yeah. so sorry. Um, yeah, the, the Use Proper English quote is a, is a line in my book because the characters talk in Scots. It's, it's a Scottish story by Scottish people. So I love the idea of using Scots dialect when I'm writing especially because Scots dialect is so it's so easy for dyslexics because it's phonetic. One, it highlights our culture and our Scottish culture that's like, you know, suppressed, you know, used proper English obviously comes from like a British colonial standard of English. And if you're Scottish, you know, Scots dialect is our proper English. So it was a, it was a way I kind of stumbled across the idea of when I'm writing Scottish characters to get across characterization stronger, I'm going to write this, the Scots dialect so that it's read exactly how I want it to sound and how these characters in my head are speaking. So it's a great way of just being able to say, yeah, I'm going to write it like that. So that the use proper English quote came from the idea that teachers at school would tell you not to speak like that. But then I thought it was really ironic that I could present, you know, fictional writing actually stronger by having, you know, these irregularities in this in Scots dialect put down on the page because it gets across the characterization better. So ironically, like, it's stronger literature. So that's why yeah, that quote came about. Oh, that's good. That's good. Good insight. Let everybody know that. Yeah, I used to find that like, you know, certain books and stuff. I remember like doing Shakespeare at school and thought like, whoa, why are these people torturing me with this? You know, and I kind of like Shakespeare now and appreciate the, 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 the audio books and watching the plays and stuff like that, you know, and say, hey, that's totally Shakespearean. But back in the day, I couldn't get through a chapter. Uh, people would laugh at me reading it out, you know, so I can... Yeah. I can... It's frustrating as well, especially for dyslexic people that, like, you know, Shakespeare would be studied so commonly in schools, but, like, first and foremost, they're plays. They're, meant, they're actually meant to be delivered in, a, like, an audio version. Like, that's the history of these texts. So then, then you've got it in Shakespearean English, which presents another challenge for dyslexic people because you're adapting a den to a different set of, like, writing words and formulas that you have to read. So, yeah, like, Shakespeare, like... I'd love schools that were focusing on that to focus on like showing people the play versions. Anything's online. So we should be, you know, be able to study that rather than just give, you know, students the written text because the, the tradition was, it was meant to be an, like an, an oral tradition in the start anyway. Well, that's amazing, Pip, actually. I never really thought about it like that. It's delivered as a play, so you're acting it. And yeah, it's really hard to read it back. Yeah, I prefer Roald Dahl myself now because just get, there's so many get outs and rolls of the tongue and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Love Roald Dahl. Love Roald Dahl too. Yeah, Roald Dahl's great. So yeah, okay, we'll go on. Elizabeth, we'll talk a bit, a bit about uh, dyslexia and filmmaking and your background. Um, what are the ways you overcome some of the challenges in your work and what are, what are the benefits as well of dyslexia in your work, Elizabeth? Well, um, I mean, firstly, I guess I would point out that filmmaking, I gravitated towards as a way for me to tell stories without having to write and write things down. So filmmaking is my way of communicating that does that works around my dyslexia. So in a way, my dyslexia sort of pushed me in that direction. So I'm obviously really thankful about that. And then I'd also point out a few things that I, I want to watch a YouTube video 
on uh, Steven Spielberg, who's dyslexic, talking about his dyslexia and filmmaking. And honestly, you know, when you watch a video or you hear a podcast or something and it just stays with you so much, this video really did just did that. Like I could almost remember everything he said. And he basically talks about how, you know, with dyslexia, so many obvious things help him think outside the box, but also the fact that he reads a lot slower means that it actually benefited him because when other people were just rushing their way through several scripts because they could read at this rate, he was having to read it slower, but he was retaining so much more of the story. And like that really stuck with me. And I think that is something that definitely happens to me. I, I definitely, I admit I read slower than maybe your average person, but I definitely think I can recall a lot of the bits of like plot lines that I really like easier. So um, there's some of the ways that filmmaking sort of works with my dyslexia. Um, another way is, it, it, again, it makes you think outside the box. So when it comes to telling stories for filmmaking, it's all about, you know, strange or unusual angles because we've got so much video content these days in fact the internet is just saturated with filmmaking and so what you have to do is you have to think of those unique angles both in the storyline and in the way you literally shoot it and frame it so I think my dyslexia helps me in that sense because I, I don't see things as straightforward as maybe someone without dyslexia would so I kind of view it as it, it's honestly really it helps me I think yeah definitely I, I think so I think Dyslexic people think visually. Uh, I think we th think faster visually. Um, I think all of that helps with storytelling and with the creativity mixed in. I know when I'm doing storyboards and stuff like that, I can, we seem to be ahead of people while I'm, I'm drawing them. I, I'm saying the picture while people are still saying, what's the next picture? What's the next picture? Um, so visually, uh, as a storytelling, it, it, it will help. Uh, Pip, do you get that when you write? Do you see visually when you write or do you see... You know, how's, how's that work? Because, I mean, people see words and talk to writers before and they can see words and stuff like that. But do you see pictures or words? How's that work? Yeah, absolutely. See, I am. Um, firstly, the thing that everyone notices if they watch me write is I always write a Microsoft document with my orange background. I changed the, the paper colour to orange, which is something my mum taught me, which, you know, helps dyslexics a lot. Well, if that works for you. So that there's that. But then, yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of love it because... Yeah, as Lib said, I think it's amazing that she found that storytelling lens through filmmaking as a way of overcoming writing. But then also, weirdly, when I write, I, it's so visual. So I, I feel like I'm just actually, when I get really into it, just telling the scene as if I'm right there. And it's just kind of describing the film in my head. So I kind of like it like that. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing Hill Street Blues now with the sirens going off in the background. Oh, no, don't be sorry. It's great. It's New York, you know, so that's what it is, you know. So. Yeah, I'm right in Central Park and there's lots and lots of fire and running back and forward. That's cool. So um, being over in New York then, in a, in a different culture over there, uh, how does that help your creativity? Do you, do you find that helps? Yeah, absolutely. So the New York thing came about and it was an absolute dream and it still truly is. I cannot believe I'm talking to you all from New York. So I applied for a Fulbright scholarship to go to NYU, which is a dream of mine since I was about 10. But it's just so expensive. You know, we're from Kirkcaldy. I was never getting to NYU, essentially, which is why I think it's amazing that it's worked out. And I knew about this Fulbright. And I guess I wouldn't have had the confidence until the end of uni. I had one teacher that really believed in writing so much he sort of helped encourage that as did friends and family so I just and again I thought it would never happen but just whacked in a few chapters of my book I had this book idea that I really 
was loving it set in Scotland about Scottish characters. And originally the plan was, the plot was that they would move to New York. So anyway, he submitted the first chapters and lots of interviews and nerve wracking, yeah, interviews later, it all happened. So I came over here and it was funny because again, my intention was to have the characters move to New York in the plot line, but actually being in New York made me so passionate about Scottish culture that it did change the rest of the latter half of the book plot. So it's entirely based in Scotland and it really focuses on Scottish culture. And I think that I started to feel like very fond, like even more fond of our culture and more connected to it sitting in New York and thinking about it. And even people like Irvin Welsh, like what a stab he has on literature and especially in America, which is amazing. And I guess Americans constantly saying that they, you know, they were like interested in the accent and they love to ask about Scotland. That kind of made me feel like, you know what, I'm gonna, I feel more inclined to write a really Scottish novel now, despite the fact I moved to New York. So yeah, that's kind of how it influenced the creative side of things. I guess it's like that thing, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And when you're out of Scotland, you realise how much you love it. I mean, I'm only in England, so it's not that far away, but you definitely just get so fond of of being back home when you go somewhere else. Um, and it's funny, like, because I spent a bit of time in America as well, and because I, I studied there during my undergrad and it's hilarious how many people say, oh, you're from Scotland, like train spotting. And you go, eh, yeah, kind of like train spotting. But they all know that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. I was down in London for years and years and everybody would say the, the, the train spotting and the, the Braveheart thing. And can you speak some more? Yeah. Can you, you know, especially over in America as well, people love the Scottish accent, eh? So. Yeah, yeah, and like what a stamp Scots dialect has on like culture and arts. So like we think of the fringe as well, which lots of Americans know, and it's phenomenal we have that in our country. So yeah, I just thought I'm going to write a book in Scots dialect, not proofread, not change any of the irregularities. And this is going to be like a dyslexic like homage to Scottish culture. And it just worked perfectly. Yeah, that's amazing. I've seen that in your documentary, actually. And uh, something that comes across uh, a lot of what, what jumped out at me was the spell checker picking up all your stuff. It was just loads of red. And my papers at school used to be that, just loads of red. You just get it back full of red. And you're like, oh, my God, this is so painful. So how do you deal with that? You know, the, 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 you know, the, the, your spelling being, you know, and getting you know, stuff back from teachers and, and the anxiety and the pain from that. How do, how do you deal with that? How do you get past it? I think um, any dyslexic people listening to this will really relate to it. You know, when you spell things and they all come up with a red line and a teacher or someone that doesn't quite, or, you know, a friend, family that doesn't quite understand dyslexia go, oh, well, you know, computers have spell check. Just get it spell check. But then you're sitting there going, what if you've spelled it so wrong that even spell check doesn't recognise the word, which when you're dyslexic, often you right click it, hoping for that miracle cure. And then it says no results found. And you just... Yeah, we, we, we say you know you're in trouble when Google can't get the word. When Google says no results found, you're like, oh no. And the the, the thing with that is the right click, also common for dyslexics, right click and it's going to give you a list of words that all look the same. So how do you click? And it's like, it increases your vocabulary, honestly, because if you right click, scroll down to all these words that look the same, hit one and then I have to right click synonyms for that word and do those synonyms match the original word I had so really it was a you know an exercise it was a bit of a rabbit hole of corrective yeah that's great that's a great example actually just little tips like that about clicking and picking extra words and stuff like that you know back in the day 
I would always simplify. And I, I had an actual English teacher said, Trev, just make it simple. And I felt really bad about it, really, because vocabulary-wise, a lot of dyslexics have a good vocabulary, but, you know, I can't spell it as much as I say. So I had an English teacher say, tone it down and use smaller words. I thought, right, that's inspirational. You know, hmm. so, so on, on that then, I've got a question here for you is what I want to talk about is uh, we, a lot of uh, young dyslexic people in particular struggle with dyslexia and feel anxious about how it affects their career, right? So what would you, uh, key messages to anyone who's feeling anxious uh, and how they would get on with their career being dyslexic? What kind of uh, messages would you give them? Well, I mean, I think Pip is a good one to lead on this, considering how much he's excelling in a in in writing and in a literature career, but with dyslexia. So you can jump on with this one. I'll start on this one. Yeah, like uh, one of the things I talked about in the the documentary was when I applied for this Fulbright scholarship. Part of my uh, part of my interview is I like presented the work the work that I was pitching, and then I actually handed them a bit of paper that I had non-proofread writing so that they could see how a dyslexic person writes and actually there was a moment a magic moment in the interview like you know thank, thankfully they were really impressed and intrigued with my work beforehand and then the interview is only the next step but that magic moment where I felt felt like actually that's like leveled me up they seemed to think that this was a new layer of what like you know firstly you being completely genuine and honest and like you know a different kind of writer so actually in that moment that was the first concrete example of embracing it and, and leaning into the things that make you different and think differently completely benefited me so which was amazing and I, it gave me a lot of confidence with it and then yeah doing a literature a literature degree at NYU was is a daunting task but after I got that like Fulbright scholarship yeah the confidence I got from the fact that I think a large part of why they were excited for me to do this was a completely different thinker and writer than they'd really ever seen before so I think like my advice would be just to embrace it there's like and I, and I like I try to say this all the time but there's no such thing as thinking differently you know we've got a set of structural rules in place that we dyslexia Scotland and all talk about don't support every type of person which isn't fair and I just want young people to know it's not you that's the problem so embrace how you think because it's magic and, uh, and another piece of advice if you still feel like you lack confidence in that reach out to people like organizations like this and try and talk to other dyslexic people and we could have it at home that you actually, you're, you're a magic thinker. You, you can't think wrongly. That just, that's not a thing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. <clears throat> can't think wrongly. Yeah, definitely. Thinking's just the future. So <laughs> yeah, if people are feeling anxious about stuff like that, I think, yeah, definitely uh, what I do is speak to uh, other people I tell people I tell everybody I'm dyslexic now I mean a couple of years back it was like people were saying Trev gonna calm down and stop telling everybody because it's like the first thing I would say to people just get it out there straight away and I like what you said there Pip lean into it do you know what I mean lean into it that's a great saying I love that as well uh, so Elizabeth any, anything you want to say on that about the anxiety and stuff I mean you're at university you talk about that as well I mean on film sets and stuff like the scripts and different kind of things that you have to get off people and stuff like that so you know, no, definitely. I mean, on film sets and things, it is um, because to talk with dyslexia just away from just purely reading and spelling for a minute, it does affect people in different aspects in terms of your organisational thinking, rational, time management. There's all sorts of areas that it sort of 
feeds into it. And on a film set, there is an abundance of things like that that you must be on top of in terms of working out complicated call sheets, being at different addresses every single day. Because when you work in film and TV, your office changes every day depending on what scene you're shooting. So you have to adapt to different addresses and locations and postcodes sometimes multiple times a day especially when you start off being a runner so I think that's definitely something that can cause you a bit of anxiety if you're dyslexic is even keeping on top of those sort of things which seem to maybe someone without dyslexia quite straightforward yeah it's just a bunch of different addresses and postcodes but actually when you couple that in with complicated times and all these things there's a lot going on that can sometimes overwhelm you but I think that um what is obviously a theme even on this podcast right now is just being straight up about it, like speaking to your production manager or anyone and saying, just so you know, I have dyslexia. So there might be times where I just need to really clarify even something as simple as a postcode and address for that day shoot, just being really on top of it. Um, because what I found from my job, dyslexia aside, is no one ever gets annoyed at people for asking questions and checking what you're doing is right. But people get annoyed when it's done wrong because you've just not, well, sometimes they might think you've not listened or you've just not put the extra steps in to make sure you're doing the right thing. So I think ask a lot of questions. Um, one thing, in fact, one thing that has definitely been a bit of a stumbling block in terms of my career and dyslexia is because I've moved away from sort of when I was a runner, I've sort of worked my way up and now I'm doing a lot more shooting and editing. But what I was also involved, which is an absolute nightmare if you're a dyslexic person, is I have to subtitle for accessibility my own work, which is great because we should have subtitles for everything so that it's more accessible to people. But it is very complicated for me to listen to something I've shot and type up accurately spelled uh, uh, subtitles and so this is something that caused me a lot of anxiety but thankfully the team I work with were so great once I eventually said and you know it took a while because there was a confidence side to it so at the very start I didn't want to seem like I've been given this great opportunity this is a great job I get to have my own things that I've shot and edited on telly but I don't want to come like below that by saying oh hold on a minute I can't quite see the job all the way through because this last little bit of subtitling it I just so I didn't initially want to like fess up to that but then what happened was I was getting notes back saying this is wrong spelt wrong spelt wrong missed out a word they don't say that at all this but when I watched it back I just couldn't put that together and that's when I just thought you know take a deep breath and like Pip said just lean into it I said look I have dyslexia this is really problematic for me to listen to an interview and subtitle it as I go um, but I'm really passionate about what this person is saying on screen so I don't want to do it a misjustice by not having it accurate and they said, oh, that's absolutely a brilliant point. We don't want to do the on-screen misjustice either. So we'll get a production assistant or someone else on the team to, you know, go over the subtitles. And everyone was happy with that. And I honestly thought that might be a problem because it might look like I'm, you know, passing the buck or getting out of work. But it's a perfectly legitimate reason why I don't want to, like, why I can't quite pull off the subtitling. And once I'd voiced it all, everyone was more than happy to, like, work it out amongst the team with extra support for that last little bit of my filmmaking. So that that is another example of something that did cause me anxiety, but was resolved just, again, once I just was totally honest about it. Yeah, no, just to echo, like, just what you said, you're like, I think we're all taken from that, like, being upfront about it and open and honest is the best, if you can, is the best way of getting around it. And even, like, I 
totally understand you because really like any like work you're doing professionally is done as a team you know so all so there's there's give and take some people will have strengths in different areas so it should be completely fine to say like I've got my strengths here but you know I'm dyslexic so this is going to be a problem can we pull someone else in just to like spell check this or whatever and I've started my first job in New York and I'm a content producer so it's a lot of writing and I'm really passionate about the work we do but I would hate to you know interview an incredible athlete which is some things I have to do write up an interview and then have like spelling mistakes kind of like seem like it lowers the tone so it's completely my manager like from the get-go it's funny we actually one of the first introductions we had when I was interviewing for the job was the loop film I, I truly sent it to her as a like demonstration and insight into how I am so I couldn't have been more straight up about the dyslexia it was like you know red flag of dyslexia but in the best way possible so she knew that from the start and it just changed things I would produce work as the content writer I'm in, I'm in charge of the writing but it's completely legit and you know my team's supportive that they'll just read over it to see if there's any spelling mistakes and I think because I said that from the get-go it doesn't make me feel like I'm incompetent because I love the area that I work in and it's writing and producing things but you know someone to just check spelling because that's not my strong point should be completely fine yeah, that's amazing. That's great insights. Yeah, that was really, really good. I really enjoyed speaking to you there about that. I think the thing is, is tell people, and like all good dyslexics, uh, what, what we're, like, we're very passionate about what we do is find solutions, eh? And we all find yeah. solutions. Problem solvers. Uh, problem solvers, solution driven. We want our work to be good. Uh, you know, being able to spell is not the be all and end all. I think that's what we'll take from this. But uh, you know, it does have to get checked and we have to do our work well, and you know, and, and you still can. Thank you.